you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. You ready to get in the Word for a few minutes? Okay. I had already determined before we got here, we're not going to make a lot of progress. It'll be good progress, but we are back in our subject uh, this week, Gospel Gleanings, and we are talking about faithfulness in particular. We're talking about the overall topic. I don't know, that's how my brain works. Okay, we're talking about being good stewards. Jesus said when he comes back, he's looking for good stewards. We talked about that. Jesus had a lot to say about that the quality he's looking for in good stewards is faithfulness. And 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verse 2, is that right? That doesn't feel right. Yeah, that's right. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, we saw it says, Moreover, it is essentially required of stewards that a man should be found faithful, proving himself worthy of trust. That's what faithfulness is. It's being a trustworthy, reliable person. You adhere to the commitments that you make. You fulfill the things you say you're going to do. You're good for your word. We, you know, I would really, I feel so strongly about this particular section of teaching that we're doing. I really feel like it goes to the heart of how we handle every aspect of our life. We want to be good stewards over everything that God puts in our hands. And so we're learning how to do that. And and so we began talking about that quality of faithfulness, and we spent at least a couple of weeks just on that topic. And you can go back and you can pick up all of those teachings. So last, well, not last week, but week before last, the last time we were talking about the subject, I started talking to you about a group of companion characteristics that go along with faithfulness. They're kind of the framework of being a faithful steward. And so I want to have to do a little bit of review on that. We've all been out doing various things the last couple of weeks. But the first one we talked about was integrity. That topic's already come up a couple of times. This morning, we talked about integrity, what it means to be a person of integrity. And that's defined as the quality of being honest, steadfast in your adherence to strong moral and ethical principles. Steadfast in your adherence to strong moral and ethical principles. And of course, we all believe that God established moral and ethical principles. His word describes to us his moral and ethical principles. The world has its own version of what morals and ethics are, and they're pretty much diametrically opposed to God's morals and ethics. God's morals and ethics don't change, and they won't change. They are eternal. They, are, they go to his definition of holiness, his definition of righteousness, The world's morals and ethics change all the time because they're primarily based around what's good for me, what's good for the individual, not necessarily what's good, all right? So a person of integrity is steadfast. They don't waver. They don't change. They don't don't move off of their moral and ethical principles because of a change in how the world views it or peer pressure or financial pressure 
or any other kind of pressure. They don't move off of their convictions and their beliefs. That's integrity. Integrity means that the outward life is an accurate reflection of your inward convictions. And we made this point, and every time, I'm sorry, I seem to be snotty again today. You'll get used to it. Uh, I made this point, and whenever I talk about integrity, I, I like to talk about this because there's, there's such a thing in the world of, well, let me just say it the way I should say it. Integrity means an outward life that's an accurate reflection of our convictions. We live out our convictions, okay? Integrity does not mean an outward life that is a reflection of your feelings, okay? Because a lot of times our feelings and our emotions don't line up with our convictions. Feelings and emotions are not bad, okay? They're just not, they're important. God gave us feelings. He gave us emotions. It's a part of our makeup. It's a part of who we are. It's part of our soul, but they're not supposed to be in charge. We, we were never designed for our emotions to drive our actions, Okay, we, we were designed so that our, con, our inward convictions are supposed to drive our actions, our beliefs, our, our relationship with God. That's supposed to drive our actions. So people will tell you, well, if you don't act on your feelings, if you don't act out what you're feeling, you're being a hypocrite. Well, that's just not true. There are many times where I need, in order to act on my convictions, I have to not act on my emotions. If you live by your feelings, you will actually end up living out the true meaning of hypocrisy. You will not be acting according to your convictions many times, not all the time. It's great when they all line up together. You know, that's a wonderful place to be, but it's not always that way. Sometimes we might be feeling something or we want to do something. We want to say something. I think that's a lot of the pressure a lot of times is, you know, I just want to respond in this way, but I know that if I respond in that way, it's not a godly response. It's not how Jesus would respond in that situation. It's not how the word of God has me respond to people. It's maybe not a loving thing. It's not a merciful thing. It's not, you know, whatever the case may be. So no, I'm not going to be driven by my, I'm not going to always act according to my feelings. So that's not hypocrisy. A lot of times hip hypocrisy is acting according to our convictions for the inward convictions and the outward life to be the same. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So we looked at a lot of verses. We're not going to look at all those today. I just want to mention one or two. Um, in, we looked at all of these a couple of weeks ago, but in Psalm 25, verse 21, it says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Remember that? Let it preserve me for I wait for and expect you. So in this place of my expectation of the Lord, my focus on the Lord, living a life of integrity will actually preserve me. And that term preserve means to protect. So there's a protection. There is a safety. There is a place of safety in simply living a life of integrity, being honest, doing what you say you're going to do. You know, living according to your convictions. There's safety partly from accusation. People can accuse you of things. People can, and I, I just listened to a guy recently who went through a tremendous uh, thing of, of uh, he's a leader in the church, went through this whole accusation. I mean, it came to a court trial. It came to all this, devastated his life, devastated 
his ministry, and in the end, I mean, even the, the court findings, the judge came out and said, no, what, what they did, what he did, what the church did that was involved was the opposite of a cover-up. I mean, the court findings bring out that they were totally innocent, did everything right, but they had to go through this whole big process of accusation and trial and people talking about them all over the world, big ministry, you know, people accusing them, all this stuff. There's still going to be people forever that believe that what they thought happened over there happened over there. It's been totally and fully, they've been exonerated. The whole situation has, has come up. But why? Because they acted in integrity through the whole thing. They did do the right thing all the way through. So they went through a struggle, no doubt about it, but they were preserved, they were protected because of their integrity. And and in that, God will continue to use them, okay? Um, Psalm 41, verse 12 said, as for me, you uphold me in my integrity. So there's something about walking in integrity that allows God to uphold you, hold you up, keep you safe. Kind of the same idea. And then Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that we found that just to be one of the greatest forms of guidance when you're confused about two different opportunities, two different paths, uh, maybe two different you know, job opportunities or ways to take your business or whatever. Choose the one that has the most integrity. That if you can't if you can't figure anything else out, if you're not hearing from God, if you're not sure, take the path of integrity. Integrity is one of the ways, just living in integrity is one of the ways God actually leads us and guides us. Okay? And so we said the second, and, and let me just kind of lay this out. This is the way the Lord showed it to me. Faithfulness, if we're going to be faithful, stewardship requires faithfulness. Okay? It is essential to stewardship, that we be faithful. Faithfulness requires integrity. You can't be faithful if you lack integrity. You will, you will not be faithful if you lack integrity. So we want to, I think the Lord, I say we want to build these things into our lives. I think the Lord is building these things into our lives. So if we look at that, the next step was commitment. And we started talking about this and broke off. I want to go a little farther into it today, commitment. If you're going to be faithful, you have to have integrity. If you're going to walk in integrity, you're going to have to be committed to it. Because again, integrity is steadfast adherence to moral and ethical principle. If you're not committed to steadfast adherence to moral and ethical principle, you will waver you'll get out of line. You'll, get, you'll go a different way at some time because of pressure or distraction or whatever. So we've got to have commitment in our life. And all of the words that I'm going to give you in this series of companions to faithfulness, none of them are popular terms, okay? None of these are what everybody in the world just runs after. Hey, I want to be a committed person. No, we don't see a lot of that, Okay. We do in people of integrity. We do in faithful people, okay? And hopefully you're surrounding yourself with faithful people. But commitment is a quality of character that motivates a person to carry out a promise or an obligation without hesitation, without reservation, 
Okay, so commitment drives us forward. Commitment causes us to do what we need to do, not just to think about it, not to hesitate. Well, I could do this, I could do that. This would be easier. You know, commitment means, I'm trying to think of a way to say it without using the word. You know something that bugs me? You guys love to hear things that bug me. I, I know this is really important for you. It, when I was growing up, uh, it was a thing that when you defined a word, you didn't use the word to define itself. Now, when I go, I'll pull up dictionary.com or something, they do that all the time. They use the, you know, what is commitment? It's being committed. Well, duh, you know, I, I, need, to, I, need, some, I need some synonyms here. I need, you know, anyway, never mind. Um, just one of my little pet peeves. You can pray for me. Uh, but, but commitment joins focus, number one, to determination, perseverance, and endurance in order to bring about a desired end, okay? It takes our focus. So, because if we're committed to something, we always, there's always a goal involved in commitment. There's always a subject of commitment. If we're going to commit to something, it's a person, it's a, it's a thing, it's a, it's a goal, it's somewhere we're trying to go. We're committing to something. You don't just I'm committed. Committed to what, right? I mean, we have to be committed to something. Well, that's a focus. That's something that the Lord has given us a focus on something, and we are choosing to commit to it. There's no turning back. Commitment is a no turning back decision. This is the direction I am going. I may take missteps along the way. I might need a lot of help getting there, but you know what? This is where I'm headed. That's commitment, all right? And and when we commit to something, that, that focus, the, the quality of commitment will combine that. It will pull it together with determination. I'm, I am determined. I am set. My face is set this direction. It may be a while, but I will get there. It's that kind of attitude. And then perseverance. We keep going that direction. When there are obstacles, when, whether they're inward obstacles, outward obstacles, we persevere. We push through. We move forward. And we've, the Bible has a lot to say about perseverance as a character quality. And then endurance, which is related to perseverance, but not exactly the same. It means we, you know, we just don't quit. We endure. We go through things. We're not dissuaded. We're not our course. We're not pushed off course. Okay. And so commitment fills our integrity and our faithfulness. It gives it a drive. It gives it a focus and it makes it solid. It, it, it causes us to be, you know, back to the original idea, stewardship, that means that we are taking whatever God has put in our hands, many times starting with the smallest thing, and we are choosing to handle it for God's purposes, to handle it well, to invest it well, to use it well. You know, Boyd just talked about time, talents, and treasures. You know, we want to be good stewards over everything in our life. And that means I'm, I'm stewarding it for the Lord and his purposes. Commitment makes that, makes that decision solid. I'm committed to it. I'm not just trying it. Might be a good way to say it. I'm not just, I'm not just setting out and I'm just going to try it. You know, I gave you that example of me learning to launch a hang glider off a hill and how, you know, you have to choose 
that you will actually, you're going to run down this hill and your brain and your body doesn't want to run down a steep hill. It thinks it's going to fall on its face on a rock, you know, but you have to be, no, I am going to run. Either this thing will pick me up or I run all the way to the bottom of the hill. You have to be absolutely determined, okay? That's commitment. You are committing to something, okay? The person that of commitment, the committed person, is not easily deterred. They're not easily distracted. Boyd talked about distraction this morning. Roberta was talking about distraction at home this morning and how we've got so much stuff, so much with technology we were talking about and, you know, the texts and the emails and the phone calls and the videos and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. There is more distraction available to us than I think any generation has ever had. And we've, we've got to have priorities in life and be committed to those priorities or we will become distracted. We'll get pulled offline. So the committed person is not deterred. They don't waver from the pursuit of the goal that is set before them. Does that make sense to you? Okay. And that can happen through pressure. It can happen through, again, distraction, threat. You know, Jesus, of course, is our best example. He was so committed to fulfilling his role, his call of Messiah. He had friends try to turn him away from doing what God the Father was telling him to do from going to the cross. He had good friends, people that loved him, telling him, this is the wrong way for you to go. You need, what are you, nuts? You can't, you know, what are you talking about? We need to throw off the Romans. I mean, he had good friends telling him not to fulfill the role that God had given to him. He obviously had pressure, he had pressure from the religious leaders. He had pressure from the Romans. He had pressure from everywhere in life. He had pressure from the devil, but he stayed committed. His, he said, that one, my face is set to go to Jerusalem, knowing what that meant. That's, that's commitment, okay? He was never deterred from that course of action. And here again, Boyd always preaches my message when he gets up. Commitment to one, to a belief or a course of action almost always requires us to let go of some other courses of action or some other beliefs sometimes. Might cause us to let go of certain relationships. When we are committed to one thing, there are almost always other things we have to let go of because we can't do everything, we can't be everywhere, we can't make everybody happy, for sure. You know, and so if we're going to fulfill a commitment, we have to be willing to let go of the things that would pull us off of that commitment. And those can be difficult. And I liked, uh, again, what Boyd said this morning about kind of having this uh, yearly or more frequent than that time of, of resetting those priorities and thinking about, now, if I'm committed to this, I can't do all of this if I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this well. And that's just a fact of life that I think, again, we're in a society that kind of wants us to be everything, wants us to do kind of kind of puts out there that, hey, you can you can have it all. You know, you can you can be the the great mom and the great wife and the career person that works 24-7 and does all these things, you can do it all. Well, you really can't do it all well, you know? 
And so a part of the Christian life is commitment. A part of being faithful is commitment. And without it, we're just not going to fulfill everything that God has for us. And I don't mean to make this sound like some burden. Oh, no, I have to. No, no, no. The blessing of God is in walking in what he is calling us to do. And, and uh, uh, having that, being committed to having time with him, being committed to responding to the Holy Spirit And I can't do that if I allow every other thing and distraction and everything people want me to do, want me to be. I can't can't do that. None of us can. I have to have a priority that I'm committed to. And then from that, there will be, I, I think really when we're walking in that, we're enabled by the grace of God to do much more than we could do on our own. But if we're running around just following every distraction, every voice, every opinion, We're not going to end up fulfilling what God has for us. Does this make sense to you? I'm I'm not asking if you like it. I'm just just asking if it makes sense. Okay. So we're we're just going to go to these verses and we'll probably kind of end up here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bible with you or you have your Bible on your device or whatever. Let's look at this and... Um, this set of verses is going to tie into everything we talk about from this point on. And I have it, uh, I don't have it on your screen, but I have it from the Amplified Bible. I want to share some of it from a couple of translations. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, Paul talks about, uh, one of the things he talks about here is commitment. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. So run your race. So he's saying, okay, because of that fact, all right, do it this way. Run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. So Paul, again, of course, this is this picture of runners on a track in a competition. And he's saying, everybody runs, Okay, and that's just something we have to recognize as believers. We are running the race that God has given us. Doesn't matter if, oh, I'd rather sit it out in the bleachers. Well, too bad you don't get to. We're all here on the earth. You're running a race, okay, one way or another. So like Barb said, pick your kingdom. Pick who you're going to run for. Pick your team. All right, but he says, all the runners race. All the runners run. All the runners compete, but only one gets the prize. So you run your race with this attitude. I'm going to be the one to get the prize. He's not, you know, in a running competition, that's competition between the runners. We are not competing with one another. We're not even competing with the world. But the attitude that we want to carry is, I'm going to do this to the absolute best of my ability. We had a period in our life where we were doing little, little tiny triathlons. People hear triathlon. Oh, wow, it's the Ironman. No, it was not. They were, they were sprint triathlons, okay? And Karen did some Olympics. I guess I did an Olympic. But anyway, these are small triathlons. But for me, it was a big deal. It was a big challenge. Took a lot of training to be able to do. But I never, I was not running to win. I I don't, I was running against at that time, early 50 year old men. Well, a lot of early 50 year old men have a lot of free time and they do nothing but train and they've been athletes since they were two and a half. Okay. 
So it's a hard group. And I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to win. I went into it thinking, this is fun. I enjoy this. It gets me in shape. It's a great thing. I'm going to train. I won one time down in Durango, but it was because there was some other big race somewhere and all the good guys were somewhere else. So I won my age group. It was awesome. But, but that was, other than that, I was kind of mid-pack or a little better than mid-pack. And that's all I was doing. I was not running to win. I still trained a lot. Karen was running to win, as any of you who know her can imagine. And in her age group, this was a tough age group too, but a number of, she took first, she took second, she took third. She almost always got something, some kind of award. She and Barb too. But, you know, it was my attitude in that was just simply go out there and enjoy it. I got into trail running. I mean, there were a lot of things, but, but that's not the attitude that's being described here. He's saying with our life, we need to run this race to the absolute best of our ability. We need to focus on it. We need to pay attention. And he goes on, he says, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Let me read you that verse Verse 25 from the Passion Translation, it says, A true athlete will be disciplined, oh, we love that term, disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. So Paul's saying there, if, if you're going to be committed to something, that means you're going to have to restrict yourself in some other things. You know, if you're going to make a commitment to church, there will be a reason every single week not to be here. There will always be something that comes up. But if you're committed to it, you won't, you know, there will be times when you're gone for all of us. But if you're committed to it, a lot of those distractions, those little things that come up, they'll start falling away because honestly, when you commit to something of God, maybe it's reading your Bible in the morning, you'll notice that immediately reasons come up to not be able to fulfill that commitment. That's the devil. He doesn't want you to do this stuff. But as you resist that and as you say, no, I'm going to do this, and you begin to do it. And, and a lot of times you need to start really small. And we were talking about this this morning, and we'll talk about it more another week when it comes to discipline, which is a part of this whole group of character traits, start small. Because so often we look at it and we go, oh, I can't be disciplined enough to do that. Well, just take a piece of it. Just do a piece of it and start committing to that. Start doing that. And then pretty soon you'll be able to do another piece and another piece. And you, and discipline is one of those things that will spread throughout your life. When I get more disciplined about my eating, other areas become easier to discipline. It's just we're training our bodies. We're training the flesh. We're training our minds. We're, we are, in fact, Paul goes on here and he says, therefore, I do not run uncertainly or without definite aim. So, so there's that focus. There's that. I, I don't run without definite aim. I'm just not out here doing my life. I have priorities. I have a place that I'm going. I want to be a good steward, you know, for one thing. So we have a focus, we have a goal. He says, I do not box like one beating the air 
and striking without an adversary. Saying, my life isn't just a game. It isn't just flowing wherever it wants to go. I'm not out there uh, acting like there's no adversary, like there's nothing in front of me. I'm intentional about what I'm doing. I don't box like one beating the air, striking without an adversary. But like a boxer, he says, get these two terms, I buffet my body and I subdue it. He's saying, I mean, what he's telling us is he's not letting his flesh and emotions determine his actions. He says, I buffet my body. It doesn't say buffet. And that's just an important thing to bring out after Thanksgiving. It doesn't say I buffet my body. It says I buffet my body. And that Greek word, this is pretty harsh, means it, it speaks of this part of the face. It's a compound word right below the eyes. And then beating that part of the face. Giving something a black eye is what it's talking about. It means to beat the face is what it's, that's what the, I'm just quoting the Bible here, okay? He's saying, my body, my flesh that has all of these desires and wants to do all these things or doesn't want to do anything, okay? How do I handle it? I beat it in the face. He's not being nice to his flesh. It doesn't mean we should physically beat our bodies but it means we're restricting. We're not letting our body, our flesh rule, okay? And it's a harsh term. He's serious about this. I'm telling my flesh what it's going to do. I'm making it get in line. And he says, I subdue it. It means he brings it into subjection. That's what he's saying. He says, no, flesh, body, you will do I don't want to get up and read the Bible. You will get up and read the Bible. You will get up and you will go and you will get in your place and you will read the Bible. I don't feel like getting up to go to church today. And I know it's not all about church, okay? But, you know, tough. Do it anyway. That's what Paul's saying. I don't, I don't feel like being a great employee today. I don't feel like doing this, doing that do it anyway. He's, he's making his flesh and his emotions come into line with his convictions, okay? And sometimes we just have to, you know, I think fasting can really help us. Fasting sometimes for the reason, not for losing weight, for the reason of subduing our flesh and telling it, no, you're going to give this time to God instead of to a meal. That kind of fasting can really be useful in this. Doing, I sometimes just have to put my body in boot camp and just, that's what I call it. My body knows what's coming when I say boot camp. It means you're not going to eat any sweets. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're going to get in line and do what you're supposed to do. You're not in charge. Spirit of God is in charge. And you will listen to my will, which is in my soul, not just to the emotions and the feelings and the desires of the flesh. Sometimes we got to just do, do a few weeks of boot camp. Just make yourself do it for a few weeks. Are you having fun? Are you really glad that you came to church this morning? I love this kind of stuff. Uh, so, but it can really change our lives if we do this. So, so he says, um, I buffet my body, I subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit. Okay? So let me just give you a couple more verses and we'll quit. I know it's time to quit. Okay, so when we're the committed, the uncommitted person what you find is that you're wavering in your life. You're wavering back and forth. And that's what we want to. We start to go this way, but then somebody gives us a different opinion, so we go that way. 
and then and we don't get anywhere doing that. So we've got to be able to settle on truth, not just listen to opinions. We've got to be able to fulfill our commitments. Okay, so just a couple verses for you. You can think about them during the week. First Kings 18.21, I think I quoted this to you a couple of weeks ago. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you halt and limp between two opinions? Halt and limp between two opinions. How long are you going to be pulled back and forth? It says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him, right? I can't say that. There's a, there's a euphemism. I can't say it in church. But it means get up and do it, okay? Just stop wavering, make a decision, and go for it. And along that way, obviously, sometimes we're unsure of what the Lord is saying, which way we're supposed to go. And I've found that if I'll just start to take a small step, I'm not jumping into something, I'll start to take a small step. I'll either then have that check in the spirit, that's not the way to go, or that peace, that is the way to go. If I get the check in the spirit, then I go the other direction. But whatever direction I determine is what God's saying, I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to be deterred. Joshua, this is the last verse, chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua was coming down at the end of his life and he came to Israel. He was telling him, get all those other gods out of your house, clean things out. He said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Again, it's like make a decision. Choose for yourselves who you will serve. Whether the gods of your foref- that your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, those are all other gods. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that verse. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I don't care. I mean, I care on a different level, but I don't care what other people are doing. I don't care what peer pressure is. I don't care who thinks what. As for me and my house, we are going to go for God. We are going to fulfill his call in our life. I'm not being pushed off of it. No matter what, we are going forward. And man, if you raise your children in that atmosphere and you do it with love and you do it with kindness and you do it with all of those attributes and and then they will come up and they will raise their children that way. Okay, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let's stand up and pray this morning. We can be dismissed. All right. Thank you, Father God. Oh, thank you, Lord. I feel like a lot of things have been said in here this morning through all of this, through our time of worship. Lord, you spoke things through that word. You spoke things through Boyd, through Barb, through myself. There are a lot of things, Lord, that you spoke. And, I, and I, my prayer, thank, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit who will come back and your word says he'll thump our spirit with the word he'll implant it in us and lord that's what i'm asking is that father that we would know every one of us would know what you are saying by your spirit to us today and father whatever you are saying by your spirit to us today then we ask how do we apply it how do we put it to work how do we show us lord the next steps to take in our lives lord to build faithfulness 
to build integrity, to build commitment. Lord, to have these things working in our lives. Father, we trust you so much for that growth and that moving toward the image of Christ every single day. And so, Lord, we know, again, you have your the very best, the very, very best abundant life for each of us. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, for all of us, we just treasure up what you have spoken today. We allow it to go deep in our hearts and change who we are. And then, Lord, we believe we will have opportunities even this week to share these truths with people. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you, Lord, that as we go out into this community, we go out as lights in the darkness. We go out, Father, to bring blessing into people's lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed this morning. I know there will be good snacks out there. I didn't check out what was there today that I usually do. But uh, we can say this on the count of three. And then you guys go out there this week and be the church. Okay. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.